because I, but uh, yeah, there's another one coming, so praise God. And uh, he's one and a half, and again, his hair too, tremendous, okay? See, Jerry, you just, you know, I was going to go something like, well, what's that? But it was already there, so uh, what we're going to do this morning is uh, a number of people have asked me when I would be sharing on some of these trips that I've been making, and of course, uh, we have a sister church in uh, Ukraine, a sister church in Russia, and I want to keep you up with that because uh, we support two pastors. Also, we have a Bible Institute in Ukraine uh, where we've been taking professors from ORU for uh, specific pastoral training and uh, doing eight different courses in theology. And one of the things I really want to, as I was sitting there praying and thinking about this, I was just thinking how far this thing has come and how quickly we can take things for granted. Because I remember the first time I went in in fall of 1989, things were just opening up, everybody was just very worried, and was it going to last, glasnost, postroika. Uh, we did some witnessing in Pushkin Square in Moscow. James actually was preaching to some young people, found somebody who could speak English, and Vladimir Moroshkin, our contact, showed up. He was very concerned, wanted to get us out of there quickly. Things were just still very iffy. Um, made a trip with Joel, and at that time they were still taking in Bibles. And uh, now you can bring Bibles from Russia back to the Russian community in Tulsa, and they do that, you know, because they have their own printing presses and distribution network. I was looking at this, I was thinking, you know, we, we just can't take this for granted. This is a big evolution. And so as you look at some of these pictures, think about that. The freedom we have, the things that we're doing. Uh, the unregistered Pentecostal church in particular was pretty much anti-education because they felt any education was secular or Soviet. So going to, going to these schools, just all kinds of things. So I'm going to be running through this very quickly. Here we have... Uh, the CIS, as it is now, uh, with the loss of the uh, Eastern Bloc nations and some other areas. Ukraine. You can see where Chernobyl is located up near Belarus. This is the Kiev Oblast, which actually sits right up against Belarus and very close to Russia. Here's Russia right here. That didn't work. That's basically the uh, Kiev Oblast, and Kiev is here, and Brovery, the city we're working in, is here. And uh, actually, Rachel Shupak is on the other side of the city to the south. This is the church that we utilize for our Bible institutes, and this church was actually uh, uh, mostly built through funds given through our sister church project and uh, a church in Ohio, Aquila Bible Chapel, and then Global Assistance Partners, the work that I work with out of Ohio that sponsors these Bible institutes, totally redid the basement, putting in showers and toilets, which is a big innovation, shower because there was an outhouse in the back, showers and toilets, uh, dormers and classroom. Uh, this is the uh, last session of our specialized pastoral training program. This is last summer. We're finishing up. It was uh, basically eight courses, 
And uh, again, theology courses, Old Testament survey, New Testament survey, hermeneutics, systematic theology, apologetics, church doctrine, homiletics, and works of the pastor. So this is the last two courses, which is works of the pastor and homiletics. And that's Dr. Ray Smith, who is a professor of missions in graduate theology at ORU, and Dr. Don Vance, who's in Old Testament in the undergraduate school, Oleg Skorba, who is our translator. And uh, Don taught homiletics, and Ray taught works of the pastor. So these are the students, and this is the classroom. And again, just to think how far it's come. I know Jim looking at this, Joel looking at this, it's like a miracle. It's like a miracle, from smuggling Bibles to holding classes. And these are all pastors and church workers. There was actually two bishops that participated. This is Ray Smith teaching. Um, we actually have the opportunity to do uh, uh, computer projection, you know, anything we want to do, it's all there. We actually are, uh, you'll notice videotaping this DVD, so they'll have it on DVD plus all the courses. They can move this from church to church. It's a really broad vision. Uh, homiletics, they basically are grading these guys on their preaching ability. This young man's preaching, and uh, Don and, uh, and Ray are overseeing that. These are materials in Russian. We get these from ICI Global University. This is works of the pastor, all these materials in Russian and English, so we're able to work with that. This is actually apologetics. They have theology courses in Russian now. And uh, we provide food and meals, and uh, we actually underwrite this uh, through Global Assistance Partners out of Cleveland, Ohio. And this is typical, you know, if, 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 if there's a break, somebody grabs a guitar and they start worshiping. It's really, you know, spontaneous and just a wonderful time. This is uh, the summer class, that's Don in the middle. Rachel. I try to visit Rachel once a year and uh, take her out to eat. Uh, it's a good excuse to go to a good Ukrainian restaurant. She thoroughly enjoys it. Uh, her Russian abilities and uh, her knowledge of the city help, so we use her as a tour guide. So we did some uh, tourist things. I mean, this is summer in Kiev. This is beautiful. They call it the City of Trees. It's just a beautiful city. And if people knew what a gem it was and how really inexpensive, you know, compared to a lot of places to go, I think a lot more people would go. So this is just, this is Michael the Archangel. This is interesting because uh, when Jim and I were there and when Joel and I were there, uh, it was actually a taller pedestal of solid granite, and Lenin was standing there pointing out over the city. And uh, when they took it down, they were having a hard time. They couldn't get it because it was solid granite. And so what they did is they drilled a hole in his neck, put a blasting cap in there, and blew his head off. That's what they did. And then they took it down a piece at a time. And for a long time, there was nothing there. And one time I was there on a Sunday, and Krishatik, which is the main street that goes by, uh, was open. They had it blocked off for like a walking street. And I'm walking down on Krishatik, and I could hear all this contemporary Christian music, and there was this huge Christian band standing on this stage right here uh, where this statue is singing all this music. And I kept thinking, oh my, you know, what? Lenin is rolling over in his grave. And, and now they put up Michael the Archangel, and that's because Michael the Archangel is the, uh, pat uh, the patron saint of, uh, of Kiev. So, 
And this is just a, a waterworks fountain that they have. Isn't this beautiful? This is Freedom Square. And actually where I'm standing is where Lenin was, you know, up on the pedestal pointing out across the city. One of the many cathedrals. This actually was the uh, uh, youth, what was it, Kamasaw? The youth, uh, my mind went blank. But anyway, it was the headquarters for the Communist Youth Organization. And uh, right now they're looking at, uh, as you can see, the, the European Union. They're looking at joining the European Union. A lot of these statues, like this one right here, they were destroyed by the communists, but they had pictures of these statues. And so once communism fell, they went through the whole city and reconstructed everything the way it was before communism. So they're new, but they're reconstructed exactly as they were. This is the Cathedral of Sophia. This is Queen Sophia. She was a, a conqueror. She was from Sweden. Uh, this is Andrew. And uh, it is reputed that Andrew brought the gospel to Kiev. So they have a statue of uh, Andrew. Okay, sorry about that. In the fall, we did a mini institute for two days. Uh, we basically finished the specialized pastoral training program, which was four sessions, um, sorry, yeah, four sessions, eight courses. And then in the spring, we finished it in the summer. In the spring, we were going to do a graduation. So we did kind of a, uh, an interlude here where we had a, a, what we call a mini institute, which is two days. And uh, it's two days intensive training, and we get a lot of people to come out. And Tony Rubarczyk, who is the regional director for ICI Global out of Springfield, he's our resource guy for all these materials. He's part of the Assemblies of God. He was teaching during this time. And again, this place was packed out. We had no room whatsoever. That's just impressive, isn't it, Joel? Uh, this is a great picture. This uh, fellow here is a contemporary... Uh, Christian uh, musician, and uh, uh, I guess he's very well known in, uh, in the uh, Christian circles in Russia, the one on the front. Uh, this fellow in the back, his name is Ilya Krashtov, and we basically support him through our sister church project. A very interesting guy. Before he became a Christian, he was a false messiah. He basically was the leader of a very large cult in Kiev, and he was dramatically saved. Very powerful young man, dramatically saved. And he started reaching out into the prisons and into, into areas of drug addiction and so on. And out of that built this huge church and huge community. He's the most gentle, wonderful brother. And about half of the group, I guess, rejected him. The others came to the Lord. But just a tremendous testimony. Some of the cooks. Can we eat together? And uh, let's see if I can pronounce this correctly. This is uh, Peter... Granoski, who is the dean of the seminary in Venitsa, and we asked him to come and teach. Uh, this is very, very good because uh, there's a lot of politics still going on within this brotherhood, and we're esteemed very highly, but to have Peter here with us teaching in our institute when he is basically the head of education in Ukraine was tremendous, and he's become a good friend. And probably, as you know, and we're going to get to this, I go every April and I teach in their seminary in Venitsa, and he's the dean of the seminary. This other fella is uh, Misha, and he's our director for the Bible Institute. He administrates the institute. And here's the graduating class for the fall. 
went on to Russia. This is the fall. This is the Voronezh Oblast, uh, very close to Kiev. It's in the Black Earth region, which is agricultural. And uh, you can see the size of Russia, again, one-tenth of the land mass upon the Earth. Thirteen time zones, I believe. This is the Voronezh Oblast. And uh, Voronezh is the uh, capital city of that oblast. This is Boris Sinobobnov, who we support. He's been here in the church. I don't know how many might remember him. He's doing well. This is the church. Uh, this is a new church plant. When I go there, I end up preaching three times every Sunday. I preach in Boris's church, then I preach in the, this church, and then I preach in another church across the city. But this is very contemporary, a contemporary worship group, uh, fairly small church but growing, and this is held in Boris's church at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. So you have, as you can see, I mean, if you look back here, you know, this is very conservative, older. Uh, there is a, well, I'll show you some a little later with a lot more young people. But again, this is the kind of thing that's occurring in the unregistered Pentecostals, which is really very encouraging. This is your typical outreach in a, what used to be a Soviet culture hall. And uh, Jim and I actually ministered in a number of these. Uh, Jim told me this morning, he said, this is like the old days, you know. I get up and lead the music and then you preach. I said, yeah, George Beverly Shea and Billy Grant. In fact, they actually, they actually did a poster. You remember that? I got a poster somewhere. It said James Garrett, singer, you know, or something like that. Gordon Wright, evangelist. But anyway, uh, this is an outreach of the church, and they basically promote this as a cultural event. And so they get a lot of people to come out because Russians are really into cultural events. I mean, anything. Plays, drama, whatever it is. So it was a tremendous thing. And this just shows some of the people. These are all unbelievers that came together to this, uh, to this outreach. This is Boris's newest child, number 14. This is number 14. And uh, as you know, uh, his wife died in an automobile accident. And we prayed for him quite concertedly. And he remarried. And uh, it was a fairly younger woman. And so uh, this is their first child. Don't ask, ask me a name. I could probably you know, give you a name of maybe two or three out of the 14. But this is a beautiful child. This is uh, Boris and Victoria, his wife. He looks happy. Gray hair. He ought to be happy, right? He's 52, 53. She's like, I think, 37. I don't know how I got her to do that, but I got her to turn sideways. She's pregnant again. So that's number 15. And uh, I guess, you know, they've already had it because that was the fall, so. Uh, this is the spring. And uh, we went back to do the graduation ceremony for the Specialized Pastoral Training Program. This is Polly Hitchcock. Polly is our Director of Operations for Global Assistance Partners, kind of an admin person that really helps me. And uh, I'm considered country director. I'm also vice president of the organization. And they oversee the Bible Institute. She came because she'd never been there. She wanted a hands-on type thing. We have two works. One is in Ukraine and the other is in Africa. And that's Bishop Peter Anguko, who you met. And we're doing these Bible institutes in both places. And Polly, did some of you, did Polly go to Africa with us? Sometimes, she goes to Africa periodically, so I don't know, some may know her. 
But uh, we're doing the diplomas and certificates for the Institute. This is Tony Rabarczyk. We're signing him out. We had uh, 35 students, 26 totally passed the courses. And, and you're talking about bachelor's, master's level. I mean, really, we had tests, the whole nine yards. They had to pass the tests. We did a thing where, uh, because there were some that missed, actually missed classes, after the fact, they could make those up because we had the DVD, we had the, uh, the, the books and so on. So 26 out of 35 passed. So they received uh, diplomas. And the others, uh, the other nine received certificates for the courses that they completed. And it was quite interesting that uh, Misha, the director, got up and he's holding this certificate, you know. And it's just, you know, it's got the seal. They love seals. You know, they just love seals. It's something out of the Soviet era and so on. And he said, you know, for Americans, he said, this might not be so much. But for Russians and Ukrainians, he said, these diplomas mean everything. <laughs> you know, just the paper. They love it. So uh, this is the graduation, and uh, some of the students put together a music, a uh, time of music. And then we went on and did our institute. This was the Spring Institute. This is Dr. Uh, Ray Smith again. And uh, Ray was teaching on uh, discipleship. And Ray is actually was a missionary to France for a period of time and uh, a member of our church for years. Some of you may know uh, Ray. And Tony Rabarczyk taught on leadership. And again, great attendance. We videoed all of this. This is Nikolai Levchenko's church. This is one of the pastors that we support. And uh, just wanted to give you an update on this. His church is constantly growing. He's actually outgrown the building. And they're in the process of building another building. And Nikolai's been here in the church. But look at this. Just tremendous. Wonderful choir. I actually taped some of their music. It was just operatic. It was tremendous. This is a little girl doing scripture memory. That'll encourage you. Singing group. After I preached, a number of people came forward for repentance. There is still is a constant move of the Lord bringing people to the Lord in Russia and Ukraine. Every service you have this kind of thing, anywhere from six to a dozen people. This is the church that Nikolai is building, and it's about uh, a quarter mile from the old church, and really they need another church. But the construction in Russia is just incredible. I mean, you know, they, they make these things to last through a nuclear holocaust. I mean, you're talking about stone blocks that are cast and brought by hooks and cranes, and, and you know, basically these churches are built as the money comes in. So it's a long process. It can take years. And it's very tedious upon the pastor. I mean, this is Nikolai Levchenko. He's probably in his 70s. He has very high blood pressure. He's constantly working on this uh, church. But this is really an incredible. This is the sanctuary. There's Nikolai. This is a balcony above the sanctuary. And there's room for expansion. So please pray for Nikolai. This is such a huge project. But isn't that tremendous? That's Nikolai and his wife Katya. That just pulls on my heartstrings. 
And uh, that's one of their grandkids. Their son, Yuri, has uh, three children. That's one of the grandkids. Okay, we went to Russia in the spring also, which is the Sisters Project. And I think uh, this will give you a better picture of Boris's church. A lot of young people, a lot of music, a lot of movement, a lot of life going on in Boris's church. Um, you know, Boris is the kind of guy, he's constantly releasing and delegating. A lot of people rising up in ministry, facilitating ministry. They have a large choir, huge youth group, huge youth group. I told everybody to hold still when I was in the pulpit, took their picture. And uh, this is the leadership area. This is actually Boris's father. He spent time in prison. He's in his 90s. Then I went out to the rehabilitation center. And, uh, you know, I, I just thought these guys, you know, wanted me to go out there. And so just, you know, they took me out there. And not too many people go out to this rehabilitation center. And I make a real connection with the, with the guys. And I teach and exhort them. And, and uh, so I feel like they want me to go out. I found out later, Andre, the guy that runs it, says, I can't believe that Gordon wants to go out in such terrible weather. I thought it was like, well, this is what we do. And he's like, this guy's crazy. Why is he going out in this terrible weather? So we're out there, and it's way out in the middle of this uh, communal farm. And it's like, you know, four or five miles in through these fields. And I mean, this is like, you know, two, three feet of water. This is a, a lot of Neva, which is a Jeep. And we're just, you know, making our way back in there. And I said, can this thing make it all the way? Because last time I went, it was by horse cart, you know, and it's freezing cold. I mean, spring is not, I mean, this is spring. Look at the snow. I mean, it's Russia. I mean, I really think like Dr. Shivago. But we're out there. We're still going, okay? And he says, I said, well, you know, will this get us all the way? He said, well, no, not quite. So then we get halfway out there and it gets stuck. We're in the middle of nowhere, it gets stuck. And so he said, okay, we're going to have to walk the rest of the way. I said, walk the rest of the way. So we pack everything up and we head out. And there's the rehabilitation center out, right out here. <laughs> and I mean, it is freezing and the wind is blowing and it's just flat. But it was tremendous. And, you know, rehabilitation in Russia, these guys are hardcore. And basically, most of these guys are Afghan veterans, and uh, it's opium. And it's a raw, very raw form of very dangerous uh, opium. So this is what they're using. And, you know, these guys have prison tattoos, just some really hardcore guys. A number of these guys weren't saved. I preached, prayed over people. Some got baptized in the Holy Spirit. Different things happened. It's always a powerful time. I asked them if they would mind me taking their picture. Just take a look at some of these. Some of these are pretty older guys. It's not like the kind of rehabilitation centers we would expect. But it's great. I mean, where are they going to go to get drugs? I mean, I couldn't hardly get in there, much less them, them getting out. Went to Venitsa. This is in the center of the uh, country, and it's uh, actually the confectionery capital of Ukraine because it's uh, where they process the sugar beets. Uh, they use beets, I can't tell the difference, rather than sugar cane. And uh, this is the processing area, so they built candy factories around it and some incredible gourmet candies, mostly chocolates. But uh, I go there every April to teach for one week in the unregistered Pentecostal seminary. It's a master's course. 
Uh, this is the church, very contemporary church. Uh, you saw the picture of Peter earlier. He's a young man. He's a bishop. Uh, Peter actually, uh, we, we put him through school. Global Assistance Partner Scholarship 6 of the unregistered Pentecostal pastors who had bachelor's degrees to go to Evangel Seminary in Kiev, which is Assembly God Seminary. So they received their master's degrees. So they have high positions, and they have a sense of loyalty to us. And Peter actually went through that course. We paid for his, uh, for his uh, uh, master's uh, degree. And he's probably one of the younger bishops. And he's the dean of the school and the pastor of this church. This church is tremendous. They have an actual, you know, worship team. I mean, Joel, this is unregistered Pentecostal. This is amazing. And they're still in the process of putting the windows in the back of the church. It's a huge church. Fantastic translator, too. It's a, it's a great opportunity. Look at that. Isn't that amazing? Russia and Ukraine, where there's no religious freedom. Isn't that something? This is the seminary. It's a tremendous uh, facility. They have private quarters for the professors. We have our own bathrooms, everything. Overhead projector. It's very modern. And uh, these are the students that I taught in April. Can't see this too well, or at least on the computer I can't. In November, I went to Sudan, South Sudan. It was a tremendous opportunity. And uh, Shelter for Life, which I work with, which is based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I'm vice president. And Shelter for Life is a uh, humanitarian aid organization, Christian humanitarian aid organization, working in restricted countries around the world. And um, actually, I was, I was talking to Joel. They did, they did a couple of small things with uh, Terry Law World Compassion in Afghanistan, where we have a large project in Afghanistan right now working in Liberia, Pakistan, we were in Kosovo, uh, Iraq. Uh, I actually went for them uh, to Iraq. But periodically I will go on their behalf, being vice president, just to represent the work. In, this, uh, in South Sudan, uh, the south is uh, this area right here. Here's the border. This is the south, and this is the part that just declared independence. They had a referendum process of becoming a new nation. This is the north, right here, and this is Defar, which is still contested. They basically uh, are trying to subjugate Defar as they did the south. Defar is trying to become their own nation as well. Uh, the south would like them to join them, but Defar wants to be an independent nation, so the thing's breaking up into three pieces. And the reason is this is the most oil-rich area, and then the south part right in here is oil rich, and they're contesting that now. And I mean, you've heard reports of what's going on because there's still fighting going on there, even though uh, there was a ceasefire and even though there's now the referendum of independence. I flew into Entebbe, which is in Uganda, and from there took uh, an MAF uh, Cessna flight into Torrit, South Sudan. This is my first, huh? MAF? Mission Aviation Fellowship, part of Wycliffe. I was going to. You're ahead of me, but I was going to. Yeah. And uh, basically, uh, there's uh, different uh, components with Wycliffe that developed out of the needs they had 
in their Bible translation, and one of them was MAF, Mission Aviation Fellowship, which is basically a Christian airline of small flights, bush planes, different things. And this is the only way to get into Sudan. They actually have their own little airport outside of Entebbe. And it's a flight of different sized Cessnas, which are very, very reliable planes, but very small. Coming out of uh, Sudan, I mean, it was like we had to go like this to get over the Sudanese mountains, you know? I mean, they're very small planes. I think it was a six-seat single-engine Cessna. This was a larger one. This is Lake Victoria as we pass over Lake Victoria on the way up to South Sudan. These are the Sudanese mountains. Beautiful, beautiful experience. Um, this is Torit. Uh, Torit is the southernmost city in eastern Equatoria. Uh, you think about that map. Uh, South Sudan consists of uh, eastern Equatoria, central Equatoria, and western Equatoria. And each one has a capital. There are three states. And the capital of uh, eastern Equatoria is Juba, which is pretty well known. Torit is just a short distance from Juba. It's an area where many refugees have come in. Actually, this, this here, a lot of this is UN. These are warehouses and stockpiles for different things. And a great relief effort. Um, the north is a majority Christian. Uh, sorry, south. The south is majority Christian, mostly Catholic. Uh, you'll be seeing a service uh, shortly into this uh, slide presentation, a Catholic service. It's not the Catholic we know. They are to it's really evangelical. We had the, the parish priest gave a message, and I thought he could give that message anywhere. It was just powerful, very clear. The worship, everything about the church. Just in the middle, for about 15 minutes, they did the little mass thing, you know. And it was like 2,000 people there, and about 300 went up. So what I realized was, that basically this was the Christian, uh, this was the place to go. A lot of the people there were not necessarily Catholic. It was just basically the presence of the Lord was there. It was a tremendous experience. Uh, this is actually uh, Father Andrew, and he's a, a Catholic priest, and he facilitates our work there. The Catholic Church actually facilitates the work of SFL, which means that uh, they have a compound where we stay. I stayed... Uh, in guest quarters uh, for the Catholic bishop. Uh, we ate at their compound. Uh, just totally facilitates anything we want to do. This is our office back here. Uh, this is Mak Akio. He is a minister of housing. Uh, they have basically cabinet ministers in each state. You have a governor, cabinet ministers, very influential man, fine Christian brother. I met with uh, two of these uh, ministers, cabinet ministers. Uh, they wanted to talk about the Lord. I was with this one one man, and he kept asking me, he said, Pastor, could, you, could we just stop and pray? And we'd pray, and we'd talk some more. He said, could we just stop and pray again? And we'd pray again. I mean, it was, it was constant. It was just a fantastic opportunity. This is a, mine, a UN mine-clearing vehicle because the whole area is uh, out in the fields. There's many, many mines after the Civil War. Uh, this is actually a school and uh, this is part of the classroom area and school compound. And the reason I showed this was back in this tree line right here, we had given a village, uh, Shelter for Life, 10 bulls for plowing. We're trying to do agricultural products. A lot of these villages are actually Christian villages, and I found out that most of them are part of the African Inland Mission Movement under C.T. Stud. Still there. I said, what church do you go to? Oh, our whole village, African in the mission. But uh, 
our bulls were roaming in this area, and right along this tree line behind this hut, uh, one of the bulls stepped on a mine. So this is where children, you know, this is an elementary school. And uh, it blew his leg off, and the village had a great meal. But there are mines back in these areas. And uh, I went back in. We were looking at peanuts. I said, can I walk back in here? He said, yeah, we think so. <laughs> you know. <clears throat> this is Simon Cobby, and he's our country uh, director for SFL. Tremendous brother. He's uh, an elder in the Presbyterian Church, fine Christian brother. And uh, he's Ugandan. And this is a building that we built in this village. And basically, they call it the modern store. And what it is is, it's, uh, this is for storage of goods and seed. Uh, this is an office for the sale of goods and seed. And then there's another one around the corner. But the whole concept behind this was that this village is like 13 miles outside of Torrit. And every morning, four o'clock, everybody in the village who has produce to sell, they put it like on their head. They walk 13 miles into the city, do their bartering and all their different things, spend the night, walk all the way back. They do this consistently. And so what we wanted to do was create a marketplace in the village so that, you know, they could just do that there. And what's interesting, it's, it's, an, it's an economic model. And what's interesting is it really worked. Once we built this, then shops started appearing around it, all kinds of shops. And so it's just a tremendous, and we're planning on replicating this in different villages and areas. And again, this is an area where infrastructure has been torn down by civil war, and just by the primitiveness of the area in South Sudan, because really, uh, for the north, the south was just a bastard stepchild. And all they did was take the oil, and didn't do anything. There's no paved roads. There's nothing. Dirt roads, nothing. So it's just ground zero. This is beautiful. Just want to take a picture. This is the area this is occurring. These are the Sudanese mountains. And we're getting ready to dedicate this. We did a ribbon cutting, many speeches, walked through the facility. They were pretty excited. And then we turned it over to, uh, basically, we turned it over to the government. You know, so it was a gift to them. And then the celebration began. And people started coming. And I didn't know what was going on here. They were wearing this white face thing, and I thought it was lime or something. You know, it's cassava flour. And the big thing is that when you're celebrating, they put this all over you. So, you know, Simon Cobby goes, you need to get out there and dance. I said, no, no, I don't dance. Come on. No, you need to get out there. So finally, I got out there. The lady comes up, slaps this flower all over my face. And so we had a good time. We had a really good time. <laughs> we had a really good time. It was great, man. Just you know, you know. That's that African dance, you know. Oh, and then, and then Simon writes back to the executive director of Shelter for Life. And he says, I thought you sent Gordon out here to work. All he wants to do is dance with the natives. <laughs> and he's the one. He pushed me out there. Isn't this wonderful? I love the colors. And, you know, this guy, I mean, you know, these guys, it's amazing. They, they really get dressed up. I mean, this guy is really decked out, and he's covered with cassava flour. And so I turned to him. And he's a fun, funny guy. I turned to him. I said, Mock, I said, you know, were you surprised? I said, look at you. He goes, no, it's normal. <laughs> and there I am. 
Of course, a white guy, you don't see it as much, right? The contrast isn't there. That's the other thing. I mean, other than a few UN people, I, was, I stuck out like a sore thumb because there's no white people down there. These are one of the bulls. We gave them 10 bulls for plowing. Uh, the agricultural project consisted of uh, a number of different crops, peanuts, uh, I'm trying to think, cassava, sorghum, you know, a number of different crops, uh, tools, hoes, uh, plows, and 10 bulls. And then we gave training sessions on how to use the bulls. I mean, it was really a fantastic. Okay, so we were just getting ready to leave. It's about noon. And I said, what's all this? He said, oh, they're coming to celebrate for the dedication of the modern store. I said, I thought the dedication was at 10 o'clock. He said, in Africa, 10 o'clock is noon. You know? And he said, they'll be here till midnight, just dancing and anything, celebrate. So there, we came along. There was people coming constantly. Uh, then we went to this other village. This is the village. That other village was Amoruk, and this is uh, Himadong. And uh, this is an area where uh, the year before we had built 30 houses in this village area. It was a three-village area, and in one village we built 30 houses. And uh, again, these refugees had fled because of the Civil War. The North came down, destroyed just everything, and were finally driven back. And then it was secured. There was a ceasefire and a referendum of independence to be voted on. And they were actually registering for that referendum when I was there. And so all these refugees came back. They came back to homes that had either been destroyed, partially destroyed. Again, just primitive. Sometimes we were just replacing, you know, mud huts. Okay, so 30 of these houses. These are three-room houses. There's an entrance room, bedroom, kitchen. Actually very, very adequate. And for them, quite luxurious. So I'm just going to move through this very quickly. One village. These are the houses. And again, in the midst of this, we're testifying to the Lord's love for them. In situations like this, we can openly do that. Other situations like Afghanistan, we have to be very, very careful. This is one of the rooms. This is one where they're finishing off the walls. This is a bedroom. And again, we're just going to walk through this village. Look, see these? We built all these. Now there's a typical, I think that's our old house next to it. This is a typical family. Uh, they Basically, a typical family will be about five children, and then uh, you'll have you know, a sister who's not two children, and so on and so forth. So they say they impacted through this uh, program something like 500 people. 500 people. Again, just walking, you can see the number of houses. And they did all this brickwork, putting in flowers. Now that's a typical dwelling. This is what we're replacing. And this is more classic. That's what you see in Uganda and Sudan. That's your village hut. This is where they finished the interior. And uh, kids were using it as a blackboard, so this little girl was practicing her alphabet. I thought this was great. I love my beautiful flower. And this is in their native language. That's a hunting scene. This is a woman who uh, we met on the road, and basically uh, they had built her a house. She was one of the beneficiaries of a house. And uh, her daughter had this incredibly high fever. 
and uh, I actually, you know, saw the child. They were walking. I put my hand on the child's head. I mean, I have never felt a kid so hot in my life. And so I asked her if I could pray for her child. She said I could. I prayed over the child. We left, and Simon told me that obviously the child has malaria. And uh, she had just been to a clinic, a beautiful, brand-new clinic. No one there, no medicines. Uh, we're talking with some people about that now, trying to staff these clinics. But he said, basically, unless she can find medicine, this child will die. So I was looking at a child that was going to die. I mean, as an American, with all we have, I just, it just really freaked me out. It just really freaked me out. And I've been trying to work on this issue of, of medicines and clinics. Uh, this is Chief uh, Manganeri, and uh, this chief uh, is the chief of this village. And uh, shortly after we started construction of these uh, houses, uh, there was a murder somewhere in the area close to the village. And the police, thinking that this chief was an influential man, that he would know who killed, who, who the murderer was. So they arrested him. And they kept him in prison for eight months, trying to get him to talk. He didn't know anything. They finally let him go. So he was a very hurt man, very, you know, struggling. So I asked if I could pray for him. He said, uh, I said, I'm a pastor. He said, oh, are you a priest? I said, no, I'm Protestant. He said, oh, you are the same as I am. You know, the whole village is a Christian village. And so I ministered to him, I laid hands on him, and I prayed over him. So you might remember uh, him. This is the people walking to Torrit 13 hours to take their goods to market. Uh, this is the harvesting of a peanut crop. These are uh, peanuts that we gave them. You don't know, this is tremendous economically. Um, self-esteem, just, just what these projects have done. They got me out there. Uh, this is Chief uh, Aquilo, and he is the chief of uh, this area, this tribe right here. Uh, he's 32 years old. Uh, he has five wives and 25 children. 25 children. He looks pretty good today. This is the church service. Tremendous. The anointing of God was there. There was true worship, preaching of the word. This is the second service. The first service had 2,000 people. This was about 1,500. This is the destroyed building. This is where they're building a new church. This is the flight out. Again, the small plane, Mission Aviation Fellowship, Torrit, over the Sudanese mountains. I didn't think we were going to make it. I mean, we just kept going like this. Tremendous experience. And Tebby. That's it. Okay. We just finished our latest newsletter. If you want to get a copy of this newsletter, uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the, on the table out in the uh, uh, north foyer. Uh, there's also a sign-up sheet for uh, supporting of a sister church project pastor. And uh, I know that many of you already support these pastors. Uh, we had some struggles for a while, but things have started moving forward again. Just encourage you not to lose uh, momentum. I'll try to communicate with you uh, these uh, things. I'm, I'm sorry, you know, this was kind of long because we basically went so long to share it with you. I hope it was encouraging to you. I want to close with a quote that I just read from a book by Martin Luther called uh, Table Talk, tremendous book. 
uh, I've read it before, it just recently came out in print. It has to do with uh, this whole thing about the prayer challenge, which God just keeps working on me, about how we need to be faithful to put feet to our prayers. That uh, Chuck Berry used to say, usually the, pray, the prayers are the goers. You know, God has called us to put feet to our prayers. So this is what Martin Luther said. And I thought this was interesting because you think of Martin Luther and you think of his boldness, it seems like, and his brashness in your face, standing against the Pope, all these different things going on. And this is what he says. Christ desires nothing more of us than that we speak of him. But you will say, if I speak or preach of him, then the word freezes upon my lips. This is Martin Luther. Oh, regard not that, but hear what Christ says. Ask and it shall be given unto you. I am with him in trouble. I will deliver him and bring him to honor. Call upon me in the time of trouble, so I will hear you and you shall praise me. How could we perform more easy service of God without all labor or charge? There is no work on earth easier than the true service of God. He loads us with no heavy burdens. He only asks that we believe in him and preach of him. And there's a verse in the scriptures that talks about the actual translation of the word preach, and it just means to proclaim divine truth, to proclaim the gospel to one person, to 12 people, to a 1,000 people, just to proclaim. That's what preach means. We only fail in belief. I must rest satisfied with that which Christ spoke to St. Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is strong in weakness. If Luther struggled with it, how can we not struggle to some degree? But God, he says the Lord has made provision. He's given us Holy Spirit. He's given us boldness, and he will give us the words to speak. So I just wanted to encourage us, as a final note here, just a bit of a word of exhortation, to put feet to our prayers. And let's see this uh, year end with uh, the fulfillment of this uh, prayer challenge. Amen? I don't know if it's literally a fact that it seems like Gordon's gone half the time, but that's what it feels like to us. But now, when he's gone, we're going to have these pictures in our mind, aren't we? We're going to have these pictures of the places he's been, the people he's uh, known and ministered to and ministered with. We're going to have this picture of Gordon with white face, and we're going to have this picture of Gordon trudging through a Dr. Zhivago snow scene in Russia. And hopefully these pictures in our mind will motivate prayer for our brother. We pray for him every time he leaves. We pray for him as he's gone. Uh, but hopefully this has sensitized us at least a little bit to the kinds of things, the kind of people, and the really uh, remarkable ministry that God has called Gordon to. So thank you, Gordon. We appreciate you sharing that this morning. Uh, before we close, I'd like to ask anybody who might be willing to come this week uh, and help tear down some of the VBS things, not just here but upstairs. We left some of it up so we didn't have to do it all on Friday. Please contact Patty Eland. See her here today or call her and, uh, or call the church office and we'll put you in touch with her if you're able to come sometime this week and, and help and you can coordinate that with her. So let's stand together. It's been kind of a unique morning, a little bit different in a lot of ways but good. And uh, I trust the Lord has ministered to each one of you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence in our midst, Lord. We thank you for the privilege of coming before you in worship.
We thank you for the privilege of bringing you our prayers and our petitions. We thank you for the privilege of uh, hearing of, of your work around the world through our brother Gordon. We're grateful for these things, Father. We're grateful to be partners together in the gospel. We pray, Heavenly Father, as we go now, that we would heed the exhortation that Gordon gave us, that we would put feet to our prayers, and, Father, that we would indeed be ambassadors of the gospel of Christ wherever we go. We thank you for this time, Lord. We ask you to bless us, protect us as we go, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're dismissed. <laughs>